Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm going to, uh, well, I'll begin with a prayer. And then we're going to talk about the miraculous, the supernatural. Does that sound exciting? I'm super excited. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name. And we thank you for who you are and for all that you've done for us. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless us today with a faith that expects you to move in even supernatural ways, in miraculous ways. And Lord, give us that grace even to seek or at least to be open to be used by you as a conduit for supernatural interventions in this world. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's great to be with you today. Let me just ask a simple question. Do you believe in healing? Okay, so today I'm going to talk about miraculous. I'm going to define what's a miracle. What does that mean to have a supernatural intervention from God? Why are there miracles? What does our church tradition teach? What do the scriptures say about miracles, signs and wonders, and deeds of power? And then, well, when it gets right down to it, what about our lives of faith? What about your life of faith and mine? Where does God move in supernatural ways? For me, one of the things that I consider a great sadness is that we expect so little from God. You heard me share in, uh, in the course of this week, Tuesday and then Wednesday and now today, about fundamental truths, understanding the reality of God, letting God be God. And then living from those truths, the reality that we are to seek first his kingdom. And that's a solution to this battle that can wage in our lives between uh, God and mammon, wealth, that it's so easy to pursue wealth. By the way, do you notice that there are two tickets, lottery tickets, over $300 million now? I, I know there's an itch. It's in there. There's an itch in there, right? <laughs> it's very tempting. Well, today on Insight, we're going to dig into the supernatural. We're going to dig into the miraculous. We're going to take a look at the ways that God involves himself in our lives. I'm going to begin with a story. I'm going to begin with a miracle. Well, let me at least call it supernatural healing. Supernatural healing. Healing that came into my life as a gift from God. In fourth grade, I broke my ankle and I still experienced trauma as I remember the act of breaking that ankle, playing basketball by myself in the backyard. I won't get into it. It's a painful memory. Well, that broken ankle left a, it didn't heal correctly. And it left a hairline fracture in my, um, in my ankle, which uh, meant that the tendons and the muscles stretched around my ankle which meant that it wasn't supported as much, which then led, especially um, in later years, seventh grade and on, to me twisting my ankle more and more and more bad, serious sprains. And as that happened, I continued to have this problem with my ankle um, becoming more susceptible to serious sprains. So the number of times I ended up in the emergency room getting crutches and getting x-rays to, uh, to address severe sprains was, pain, was, uh, was awful. <laughs> and this accompanied me through my life. And because I like to play basketball and volleyball, these were things, you know, those kind of sports, a lot of jumping. It was a very common occurrence for me to, to have my ankles twisted. Well, this led to a condition, a place where I could actually dislocate my ankle. Literally with my own hand, I could dislocate my ankle. And, and sometimes the severe sprain actually ended up being a dislocation where it would pop out of joint. I know that, I'm sorry. I'm going into this because I wanna let you know how spectacular the healing was. So literally I would be just walking down the street not like stepping off a curb or 
anything weird, but literally just walking and my ankle would dislocate and I would literally give a, 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 a yell, like a scream because it had this like, it was like a, a knife being stuck in my ankle and my ankle would just flip and I would literally just fall to the ground. <laughs> okay, so that's my life. Um, up until 2016. Now, 2016 in November, we are um, we were having a family reunion, and um, we invited uh, a speaker to come up and to be with us to speak to Kerry's family during this time of reunion. And um, he had a um, he had a, a ministry of praying for healing, of having like words of knowledge and. Um, insights, right? So charismatic gifting. And um, he would pray with people for healing. And I would get his emails, uh, like his newsletter, and it just like spectacular stories of evangelistic work and, and, and divine interventions where tremendous healings occurred. Well, we invited him um, after the retreat to come to our home and to host an event where he could preach and he could pray with people for healing. And so that was my job. My job was, you know, I'm in ministry. Here's a colleague of mine, a brother in the Lord. He's here. He's going to be praying for all of you. Well, when it comes time to prayer for healing, he is sensing words like someone have, uh, you know, an issue in their shoulder, just for instance, and um, or some personal situation, or he would look at someone and he would say, I'm sensing that there is a, a potential need to be healed in this area of your life. Can I pray with you for that? And, um, and then he says, as he's praying, he says, I have this word, I have this sense that someone has foot or ankle problems. And the Lord is healing that tonight. Does anybody have foot or ankle problems? And I'm like looking around the room thinking, wow, I wonder who it is. <laughs> I had completely reconciled myself to the fact that the Lord was not going to address this. The Lord was humbling me. He was um, going to, he was speaking to me through my body and it's in the way that it had broken down. And it was just something I was going to have to live with. Well, all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute. What if it's me? What if the Lord wants to heal me? Okay, I, I raised my hand. Well, I have actually a history of ankle problems going all the way back to fourth grade. So he comes and he lays his hands on my, my ankle and prayed for me, prayed for healing of my ankle from having this propensity to just dislocate or have serious sprains uh, that would happen at least once a month at least once a month. And these, this wasn't because I was exercising and all that. It was just literally walking down the street, stepping out of the car, going downstairs. I would have to be conscious about keeping my foot frozen in place as I would go down a step so that it wouldn't just flip on me. So that was in November of 2016. Okay, here we are almost five years later. You know how many times my ankle has done that little flip, has done that dislocation, has zero. Do you know how many times I've sprained my ankle in five years? Once. And it was complete, like, just a complete accident where I was stepping backwards on the basketball court and I stepped on the side of someone's foot and my ankle rolled. It didn't dislocate, but it rolled. And that's the only time that's happened in five years. And by the way, it was, was uh, playing with kids from St. Joan of Arc. <laughs> so I'm going to call that a demonic attack against my healing in my ankle. But I have not had to have that same sensitivity about, okay, I'm walking down the stairs, be aware. I have not had any of the tweaks. I have not had any um, uh, twists of my ankle. I've had uh, no dislocations in five years when for the previous 42 years 
sprained ankles and serious sprained ankles and dislocated ankles have been part of my life as a regular reality. Is that coincidence? Is that a string of good luck? Or is that what the evidence would point to? That this man of God had this sense of God wants to um, pray for healing for ankles and feet or feet and ankles. I said, yes, I received it and I've been healed. And did I expect that? Now I've seen God move in healing purposes. I've seen God. I've prayed with people and I've been with people being prayed for who've been cured of cancer, like immediately, like the next day, uh, a lemon sized tumor is gone. That, the person went in to get it removed and they had to do another x-ray and they said it was gone and they've never seen anything like that. So like miracles, like a sign of divine intervention. And I'm sharing this with you today because I want to raise a degree of expectation, raise that sense of expectant faith that God is this living God. And when his kingdom comes, and when he comes to dwell in the center of your life, and when you seek first his kingdom, he is then going to not only come to you and live in you as that burning bush presence that I've talked about, but that he will work through you. You will witness miracles. And you may even become a conduit for the miraculous. Now, how does that sound? How does that sound for living a life of faith? Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Like, is that, is that something that you've heard? Is that something that you think about? Is that something that you pursue? Is that something that you expect? Today is the feast of Saint, Pope St. Gregory the Great. Pope St. Gregory the Great. And he is an amazing saint. And the, the way that he was able to pursue God's call for his life, it was, I don't want to say it was marked by miracles, but it was marked by this like generosity, this generous availability that would lead the church in her history to look back on her, uh, upon him, and look upon the life he lived and say, God did a magnificent work, not only in him, but through him. He was great. How about signing up for that? Would you be open to doing that? Sign up for spiritual greatness. Sign up for sanctified greatness. Sign up to be one in whom God's kingdom can become so apparent that through you, God will do great things in this world. But that won't happen. That will not happen if we live our lives with this idea of low expectations, small expectations, where we expect so little from God. When God isn't the living God in our lives, when God is that concept that just sort of orbits around the periphery of our lives, providing that sort of, again, model for how we live, some of the beliefs that we hold as true, and the rituals and religious exercises that we have committed to versus no, you are in an intimate, profound communion with the living God as a burning bush. You are on fire and his radiant majesty and his glory, his bigness has come upon you. His majestic beauty is attractive to you and his almighty power is moving through you. Isn't that the life that we want? 
Well, today in Sound Insight, we're going to dig more into that. We're coming up to a break. When we come back from the break, I'm going to define miracles. I'm going to define it first because there are ways in which you maybe it has been obscured from your mind. From well, the minds of so many Catholics, the way in which the miraculous supernatural interventions from God are part of our life of faith. And have become so commonplace to us that we take them for granted. They've lost their astonishing power. And maybe to many of us, we have diminished or dimmed our own recognition of supernatural breakthroughs that are all around us as Catholics. And that therefore, we ought not to be surprised by the reality that God wants to work in your life and yes, even through your life in supernatural, miracle-bringing ways. Ooh, I like this topic. I'm all fired up today. I'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kearns. Today I'm talking about miracles. And in this section, I'm going to define a little bit of theology. I want to talk about sort of a definition of miracles and how do we understand them. And then make distinctions, a little bit, a couple of theological distinctions. And then ask you, why miracles? Like, what part did, theologically in our church history and theology, what has the church identified as the rationale for miracles? And then in the scriptures, what do we understand about the scriptures? in terms of miracles. And then that's going to basically come home to our lives and say, if this is what it's meant in church teaching, if this is what it's meant in the scriptures and in our life of faith, well, what does that mean for us? And, oh, that's going to be exciting. But let's, let's start back at the beginning. What's a miracle? Well, a miracle is a supernatural intervention by God in the world, in our lives, in human affairs. So to say that it's a supernatural intervention, it means that what is occurring in the world, in the world God created, but in the world, is manifesting something that in, in the present moment goes beyond the capacity of reason and nature to explain on its own terms. So. I gave the example of my ankle. The, the difference between the 40 years prior and the five years since that event of being prayed with for my ankle to be healed is evidence. It points to the reality of a supernatural intervention by God. And so it's not explainable in, in a way that is credible, the evidence, it, it, it weighs itself. No, do I have proof, right? Not scientific proof, but miracles don't work in the realm of like, scientific proof. There's like factual verification. There's data that you can mine and, and you can come up with uh, the question of probabilities. like. It's the, the probable explanation that explanation <laughs> that has the greatest probability is in fact what these people were seeking to have happen and were, were identifying themselves as being called by God to pray for this to happen, that it in fact is the, is the sufficient reason to explain what actually did happen and has happened ever since. So nature is that which is created by God. Supernatural this is super beyond nature. It's beyond what's inherent in nature. So one way, a handy way that Catholic theology has talked about um, miracles as supernatural is in the distinction it makes between nature, convention, and grace. Nature convention, and grace. So nature is simply 
it is what it is because that's how God created it. That's it. Water, rocks, trees, stuff, right? Flowers, the sun, the stars. These things are the way they are because that's how God created them, that they're that way by nature. Okay, convention is that thing is what it is because human beings have acted upon it. So it takes something that was originally part of nature and then human beings act on it. And you see that it has left its pure state of nature into another state that's that other condition is the condition when human beings act on it. That's called convention. That's how the middle eight in the middle ages, late middle ages, that's how they talked about. It is what it is because human beings have acted on it. And that's different than the way that things are naturally. Well, then grace is what? Oh, grace is, it is what it is. It's in the situation it's in because not human beings have acted on it, but because God has acted upon it. So grace is when God acts upon something that he has created. God acts upon bread and wine becoming the body and blood of Jesus. God acts upon uh, human beings through baptism and transforms them into children of God. God acts upon a human being that is facing a temptation and uh, provides them with the uh, grace, right, with the strength they need to, in fact, be able to uh, fight the temptation, to fight a temptation. So that's grace. So supernatural, the realm of the supernatural is the realm where God has acted upon something he has created. So miracles then fall within that realm of supernatural activity being, uh, being placed upon, intervening in, being actively um, moving in a person's life, in a situation, in something that he has created. Okay. Well, let's ask a question. Why? Why miracles? Like, what's the purpose? Like, why doesn't God just show himself more clearly? Why doesn't God like send some kind of like beam of light down and then uh, shoot rays at something? And then we all know, oh, okay. So this is God acting upon this situation. We see it. It's really clear here. Here's the, here's the beam of light. That's the sign of God's presence, right? <laughs> And the answer is, I don't know why God does things like the way he does them. But I do know this, that the church has reflected on this, that one of the purposes of miracles, of supernatural interventions, are that they provide signs of credibility. Signs of credibility to a message or a messenger. So you see in the scriptures, in John 6, when the Jews come to Jesus, the followers, they, hey, what sign will you perform? What sign will you perform? Moses provided manna in the desert. So they're, they're looking at the idea that a sign, a miracle is a sign of credibility. Oh, it's believable then that you come from God because you are able to perform this supernatural act, right? Moses even um, gets support for that from God himself when he says, hey, when I get in, I'm going to go see uh, your people and bring them from slavery in Egypt, what sign can I provide? And it was the two signs. Remember, it was the um, staff that he carried um, would turn, he'd throw it to the ground, it would turn into a serpent, he would pick it back up, and it would become a staff again. And the other was he'd put his hand into his cloak and it would come out and it would be leprous. He put his hand back in, he'd take it back out and he was healed. So these were signs. So signs of credibility. Now you see that concept of a sign of credibility extended in Catholic tradition with the concept of canonization, right? When we think about miracles, we most often think of miracles in relationship to saints. So miracles in the course of church history have tended to be like restricted in terms of expectancy. Like should we ordinary folks who are struggling along and 
falling into sin every day? And should we expect that miracles would be somehow part of our lives? Well, one of the big reasons why there was a diminishment in that is that miracles became much more closely associated with the actual lives of saints. And then after they died, um, with the process of canonization, that there would be a miracle associated with uh, uh, their beatification and with their canonization. So uh, miracles as part of the process of becoming officially canonized as a saint in the church. But if we, so it was a proof of sanctity, right? It was like a confirmation from God that the living God was alive in this person, in this person's life. So let's focus in more and let's take a look at the scriptures. Because in the scriptures, I'm gonna summarize it this way. Miracles are supernatural interventions from God, manifest means by which God leads, provides and protects his people. Miracles are supernatural interventions as used by God as part of how he is leading, providing for, and protecting his people. So, for instance, you see this very clearly in the Exodus. So, in terms of leading his people, what does God do? Well, Moses, let my people go. You have 10 plagues. That was pretty helpful. Moses became increasingly persuasive. <laughs> he became increasingly persuasive as Pharaoh underwent plague after plague after plague. And then finally, after these 10 plagues, uh, he then lets people, lets the Israelites go. And you know the story, right? There has to be the parting of the Red Sea. And so again, you have miracles associated with God leading how God leads his people. He will even intervene in supernatural ways to set his people free, to lead them out of slavery. Well, also miracles are a, sign, is a, are a means of provision. Think about it with regards to the Israelites in the desert. Well, it's great they're freed from uh, slavery in Egypt, but if they're going to starve to death, this is not very helpful. So you have the miraculous Provision of manna and after complaints of quail. And oh, by the way, instead of dying of thirst, water from the rock. And the rock will accompany you through the desert. So you'll always have your own personal water source from a rock. And so these are supernatural interventions, miracles by which God provides. And then lastly, oh, and, and that's like, that's the physical, right? But you can also say spiritually, right? So spiritually, you see provision coming supernaturally in things like when there was the rebellion, um, you had the um, uh, Korah's rebellion, you had the bronze serpent. Right? Look at the bronze serpent. And Whoever looked at the bronze serpent would be healed. So there was even like reconciling with God. So not only physical healing um, and physical sustenance, but also spiritual healing and being reconciled to God. That kind of provision you see in the Exodus. And then lastly, protection. Right? So lead, provide, protect. One of the means by which God is leading and providing and protecting his people is through supernatural interventions. And so you see multiple stories of the Israelites winning battles against God's enemies when they are far outnumbered, overwhelming odds against them. And it's God who protects them. You even have the Ark of the Covenant going into the Promised Land first, crossing the Jordan River and leading them into battle. God's presence is leading providing, protecting. These are supernatural interventions from God. What about the New Testament? Well, what do we see? We see Jesus coming and proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
And in the proclamation of the kingdom of God, Jesus doesn't only preach, but he, okay, now here are the two key words, he manifests and demonstrates what that kingdom looks like, what happens when that kingdom of God appears through signs and wonders and deeds of power. That's the refrain you see in the Gospels, that Jesus not only preached, he not only taught, but he also performed signs and wonders and deeds of power. Now, watch this. Signs point to. So the supernatural activities of Jesus that you could associate with signs were part of how Jesus led. Signs and wonders. Ah, wonders are things that are bigger than we are. They're, they're this inexhaustible quantity to them. There's this sense of being filled to overflowing. Ah, there's provision. There's wondrous abundance, filled to overflowing quality. It's the five loaves and two fish that are uh, multiplied into seven baskets left over, 12 baskets left over. And there are deeds of power. Well, where does Jesus exercise deeds of power over creation? Well, the, you could maybe, those of you that are uh, very familiar with the scriptures, you say, oh, he cursed the fig tree, right? But no, think mostly of his spiritual battles against the demonic. It was his power. He had authority as son of God over these people's lives. Oh, I'm sorry, over the, the realm of the demons. And so exorcisms, delivering people from the stranglehold of Satan by cast, binding and casting out demons. So Jesus, when he came, he not only brought a revealed, uh, the revelation of who God is, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and communicated, he communicated that reality through signs and wonders and deeds of power. Now, let's take a look at our lives. Okay, so we've talked about theologically the way the church teaches this. It's really a sign of sanctity. It's a sign of credibility. It's a sign of how God is leading, providing, and protecting his people. That confirms what the scriptures are saying, that the, um, the gospels are a manifestation and a demonstration of God's kingdom. And so um, as we continue to reflect on this, um, let's now talk about what about the life of the church? Where do we see supernatural interventions by God in the life of the church? And you see it so clearly in, in ways that maybe we just have taken for granted. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the sacraments. So you ponder for a minute what is required to make the sacraments actually effective, actually occur. It's divine activity. It's divine intervention. It's supernatural power breaking into your here, now, and today. You're witnessing miracles. Okay, so of course, we begin with the one that we most quickly go to, and that's mass. And that becomes all that more startling when we see the bread and wine going up to the altar, when we see it presented, right? Because we know, oh, that was actually bread and wine that was brought to the priest, put into the hands of the priest who's performing this ritual, right? The sacred liturgy, the holy sacrifice of the mass, performing this religious ritual as Catholics that we embrace. But wait a minute, wait a minute. What we Catholics are saying is that as this priest takes this bread and wine, brings them up to this altar in this sanctuary and continues to speak the words of this holy ritual, this sacred liturgy, 
that something happens to that bread and wine. That that bread and wine don't simply become blessed by God. They don't simply become a means of communicating grace from God. Those things happen. But they become transformed at the essential at the essential level these elements become transformed transubstantiation the very substance becomes changed and it becomes changed from simply bread and wine to the body and blood soul and divinity of Jesus Christ and, and we've heard that it's the real presence of Jesus. We even that language we've heard, we're so it's so common to us that we can, it can maybe even obscure in at least our own personal awareness, at least for some of us, just how astonishing this is. If I said to you, bread and wine go up, these little wafers and this wine go up to the altar in the hands of the priest, but what happens on that altar? then brings about a change. So what comes down from that altar is the glorified presence of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The glorified presence of Jesus Christ, who is God. Divinity becomes personally present in what looks like a small wafer. How does that happen? Is that just wistful thinking, wishful thinking? Or is that something that we say, no, 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 no. Any human being can read those words, but only those who have been sacramentally conformed and configured to Jesus Christ as priest in that sacrament of holy orders. Only those who perform the ritual as we have inherited it down through 2,000 years back to the Last Supper itself. Only those who work in communion and continuity with the act of Jesus Christ that he established at the Last Supper will accomplish what he willed and wills. He wills to be personally present to us in his divinely human way, in his divinity, in his glorified divinity, but in the most, in such a incredibly humble form as Eucharist. And that's what we're present in front of at mass. I referenced it two days ago, but if you took a look at what the response was of John in Revelation 1 to coming into the presence of the glorified Jesus, he describes Jesus in terms that are like looking at the sun. Jesus' son, Jesus' face shone like the sun at its brightest. His hair was white as white wool. He, he cannot find word, the ineffability of that encounter with Jesus. He can't put it into speech. He's grasping at words to try to explain the glory of God that is made manifest in the risen Christ to John. It's that Jesus that's present at Mass. It's that Jesus that's present as Eucharist. And it's like, do we think about this? Do we realize this? And I'm like, does the priest ponder this. Father, do you think about that? The bread and wine are put into your hands. You say these words, you may not even be consciously like very astutely aware, focused and, 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 and completely devoutly given over to the act itself in that moment. But man, you do it in the right way. It happens by the work worked, right? It happens. And Jesus shows up and now you're consuming the very reality of Jesus Christ glorified into your being. That's a miracle. It's not uh, knowing a clever formula. It's not knowing how to make something happen. 
No, it's a supernatural intervention. It's a miracle. And so we could do the same with the other sacraments, uh, but I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'll, I'll just briefly, a briefest, briefest time, mention two other sacraments, just to highlight again this reality that we're surrounded by miracles. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today I'm reflecting on the reality of miracles, supernatural interventions of God in our lives. Um, we see God acting in this way to lead, provide, and protect his people in the Old Testament. We see Jesus using it to demonstrate and manifest what happens when his kingdom actually comes into people's lives, once again, in the form of signs and wonders and deeds of power, healings and miracles and exorcisms that show Jesus through the kingdom's intervention and breaking into, and Jesus, the son of God, breaking into our lives, he himself is leading, providing, and protecting us. And then now we're looking at our own lives as Catholics, as the reality where Jesus is still performing miracles. I pointed, first of all, to the Eucharist, but then two other quick sacraments, baptism. What happens in baptism? Through water being poured on a head, through words being spoken, a creature of God becomes transformed into a child of God. Parents, you know, parents, are you aware of what you're doing? They say yes. <laughs> God, parents, you know what you're doing? Yes. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. And to stop and to say, like, if you know that this creature of God has now sharing in divinity, has been elevated into a, an act that is so great that it's associated with the act of creation, it's a new creation, a creation to an elevated status, stature, to the very realm of divinity, no longer simply created from the dust of the earth. And destined to go back to dust. Now, this person has been elevated into a child of God. Whoa. We could, and that comes from baptism, supernatural intervention of God. And then the third is confession, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. What's our status when we sin? We're weakening or destroying our communion with God. Is there a lot at stake in that? Yeah, like heaven and hell at stake like being with God forever in heaven, a cutoff forever, and the everlasting, terrifying, unimaginably tormenting fires of hell. That's what's at stake. And yet we all fall short of God's glory. We all sin. And except for God's mercy, we sin horribly, terribly. Well, God's mercy not only preserves us from falling horribly and terribly, God's mercy rescues us when we do. Well, where does God rescue? How does the Lord rescue? Confession. Confession. Oh, you Catholics, you who have been given the gift of confession, you've been given the path to reconciliation with God. The path to a restoration of what was diminished or broken what was severed or severely damaged, our communion with God. And how does that happen? Well, by us going into a box and speaking out and owning, accusing ourselves of our misdeeds, of our betrayals of the Lord's love and his law, a betrayal of him. And Jesus himself reaches through the centuries to reconcile us to the Father, to restore us, to bring about a spiritual resurrection. Does the priest have the ability to do that on his own? No, this is a supernatural intervention from God. It's a miracle. But because we lose sight of the supernatural, the dimension of the supernatural in our lives, so many self-identifying Catholics don't even believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. They think it's symbolic. Or we have so many Catholics who have simply fled from confession. 
not appreciating the healing sacrament that is made available to them. And we have Catholics like completely overlooking or underappreciating the reality of their own baptism and therefore their new status as citizens of heaven who continue to live their lives here on earth, children of God, but then who look at the baptism of children as maybe just a cultural remnant. We're doing it because mom and dad want it or it's just the thing to do rather than, no, this is like, this is everything that we can offer our kids the gift of new life. Stunning. That's everything. And so, um, so today on Sound Insight, I'm, I'm walking you through the, the realm of miracles and, and supernatural, this supernatural intervention from God who, who wants to be active in our lives and is active in our lives through grace. And, and now we have the final part. The final part is what do we do to receive God's miracles, expect God's miracles, and then become a conduit for God's miracles to be at work in this world? And I'll discuss that in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I only have a short period of time, a short last segment here to go into the way in which God's kingdom breaks into our lives and what Jesus did in the New Testament, what God did in the Old Testament, what the sacraments also um, convey to us and, and make apparent to us is that God continues to work by supernaturally intervening in the world he has created on behalf of his people to lead them, provide them, and protect them. I shared this story at the beginning of the program about the healing of my ankle. Do you have a story like that? What is your testimony of where and when you saw, you experienced, and you praise God? for a supernatural intervention in your life. If you don't have one, if there's not one that is like abundantly clear to you, it's more than just a nice coincidence that we somehow say God got involved in. No, 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 more than that. If, if that isn't apparent to you, then I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna encourage you to ask God for a miracle. Ask God for a supernatural intervention. Ask him, not because you're good, but because he's great. Ask him, not because you expect that he will, <coughs> excuse me, you expect that he's going to give it to you because you deserve it. No. Do it because of a stirred into flame faith expectation that this is who our God is. Our God moves on our behalf to lead us, to provide for us, and to protect us. It's not just that God is watching on the sidelines. And so where in your life would you love to see the Lord lead you? Where in your life do you feel stuck like the Israelites in Egypt? Where are you enslaved right now? In what relationships, in what way of thinking, in what sin, where do you feel so stuck, enslaved, where you need to be unbound and set free? Ask him, Lord, please, I need some of those kinds of miracles, those miraculous interventions, please. Or where do you need to be led through a time where you don't know which way to go? Ask the Lord for guidance. What about provision? Where are you in need of provision? Now, that could be financial. Ask the Lord for a supernatural, a supernatural outpouring of provision for your life. Ask for it. Seek for it. Knock for it. And then what about protection? What about this severed connection 
from evil. Jesus as a routine manifestation of God's kingdom. When his holiness showed up, when he, the son of God, perfectly holy, showed up, it unmasked the demonic present in families' lives, present in people's lives. And that's something that I want for you too. That's something that I would love for you to know, that in the spiritual battles that you face and you fight, that Jesus is ready to not simply give you a grace so that you can bear it. No, but, but Jesus is ready to supernaturally intervene and set you free. That excites me. That for me is awesome. This is who our God is. Let me pray for that for you. I'm out of time today to, to dig into this a lot further. So I'm going to have to wait until next week because there's so much more to say about learning to receive miracles from God. How does that happen? What spiritual practices can I do to increase my faith, expect, my expectant faith in the miraculous occurring in my life? And then, oh, for those of you that are willing to be useful to the Lord, to be a conduit, a channel of the Lord working, yes, even to perform signs and wonders and deeds of power today through you. How does that sound? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, I thank you. I praise you. I worship you for who you are, for all that you've done for us, for all the ways that you take care of us. And Lord, I ask that you would give us grace, grace to expect you to move in ways that go beyond what we could ever understand or hope for on our own. Lord, even now, increase our faith. And Lord, meet us at those deepest, those points of deepest need where it will take a miracle, but we look to you, the God of miracles, who's still performing miracles around us today. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for giving us the gift of a Catholic faith. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for being with me today. God bless you. God bless your day. And me on Monday for more sound insight.